Welcome everyone to Popcorn Peeps, the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. My name is Jordan Costa, and before we get into things this week, I'd like to quickly mention that we have outgrown all of the free hosting platforms at our disposal, and so we are now paying for hosting. And as such, we have created a Patreon account, no obligation to join in, but if you want to chip us a couple dollars a month to keep the lights on, this will help us keep the podcast on all of the platforms that aren't YouTube. And if you do choose to support us, we will read your name out and thank you at the end of each episode. But without further ado, we are here to talk about the 1977 Academy Award winning film called Close Encounters of the Third Kind, directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Richard Dreyfus, Melinda Dillon, Terry Garr, Bob Balaban, Carrie Guffey, and Francois Truffaut. I am joined by the lovely Sarah Alexander. Hello! <laughs> the ever so suave Craig Moore. Oh, suave. That's that's great. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. And alien conspiracy theorist Chris McMullen. I'll take it. I was going to complain about never being lovely, but <laughs> good evening, everybody. Uh, you can be lovely next week if you want. That's fine. I want to be lovely. <laughs> yeah, so we all tuned in and we watched Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Like Airplane and Deer Hunter, this film was recognized as being culturally, historic, or significant in some way to the United States, and it was indoctrinated into the Library of Congress, preservation in the film registry. So what are your thoughts? What do you guys think of the film? So quick shout out to my mom who showed me this film when I was a little boy for the first time. When you're a little boy watching this film, whew, it's scary as hell. What are we talking, like three? Talking probably five to seven. And it was spooky as a little boy. but I, and, and as a grown up, it's still, there's a lot of spooky moments in it. But not a horror movie, just a really, really cool, weird movie. I'm actually quite scared of horror movies. So I was really glad this struck a good balance between spooky, but not too spooky. It was more just surreal paranoia than like, oh my God, there's a jump scare. I thought it was a good balance. Yeah. How about you, Sarah? liked it up until the last half hour. Wow. <laughs> I liked um, the suspense. I, I would have been fine not seeing the aliens. And I hated the fact that he got on the plane at the end. I thought, what a typical man to leave his wife and children behind and go into space after making out with a side woman he just met in the rocks. Sarah, you only get so many opportunities in your life to check out what space puss be like. <laughs> and sometimes... <laughs> You just gotta, you gotta find out for yourself at what cost. I didn't think of it that way. I mean, what if Gamora was on that ship? He's just gonna get three more little space babies. It's fine. <laughs> didn't she leave leave him like three weeks ago? Because he was, like, he did have his mental break. And like, I'm, like, I'm just saying, very, like, if I'm having a mental breakdown and my wife takes off in the car screaming out at me out the window, I'm assuming this relationship's over. Start throwing mud through your I have a whole window. set of bullet points all about this, but we have to hear what yeah, Chris sorry, said sorry, first yeah. before we jump no, into it's this. all right. Let's get right into it. I liked it quite a lot. I don't understand what Sarah's problem is with the last bit. My thought is the ship flies around for about 15 or 20 minutes when it didn't need to. It was just as jaw-dropping for 10 minutes. I don't think the extra stuff was necessary. I think that's probably where Sarah's complaints okay. are from. That, that That's wrong, but that's okay. But here we go. I've got a point here. At the end of the film, Roy abandons his three children and his wife to explore the cosmos. And I thought this was incredibly selfish, and as did Jen. And there's actually some Spielberg commentary on this after the fact. He said he wrote this script before he had children, and so now that he's reflecting on it and he has kids, he would have never made the main character leave now that he understands the bond between parent and child. 
what do you guys think about this decision to leave and abandon your whole family? Was that something you thought was really jarring? Or is this something you thought would be, was okay? Or did that strike you as weird? So I think it's important to realize that the character maybe wasn't entirely in his right mind. He had been at least somewhat brainwashed by aliens. So that probably weighed into his decision to get on a strange spaceship with people he'd never met. He was definitely drinking the Kool-Aid. For sure. But um, I do think from an artistic perspective, though, if you give him the opportunity to take the ship, despite the fact that he's been indoctrinated by this alien hype, if he refuses, it shows tremendous character growth and character development that I think would be really valuable and a great way to wrap up the film. And I think by throwing that out the window and having him jump on, I rolled my eyes as as clearly Sarah did. Yeah, I think they would have had to establish some better relationship between him and his family. I mean, as my wife said, why is there always a Blanche? <laughs> oh, wow. Nice, nice callback. As the only person who has children... Of the four of us, just to be clear, there are other Craig people. Craig has who have a kids. dog. Excuse me. It's not the same. It's basically it's the not same. Even I the don't same. think it's the same, man. <laughs> I've never wanted to drown my dog, for example. <laughs> <laughs> I have. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> if Child Protective Services is listening to this podcast, it's a joke. When you make that face, it's a joke. Uh, there are days when maybe, you know, I would get on that spaceship. <laughs> Honestly, Roy was going absolutely nuts and <laughs> Ronnie had to tolerate it the entire time. Imagine if you're in her shoes and your husband goes, we need to uproot our whole lives. We need to build this giant sculpture in the living room. I need to throw plants through the window. I need to drive at midnight every night hunting for aliens. And you're just an average woman. You can only tolerate so much. And he's making your children cry at the dinner table because he's being weird. You have to do what's in the best interest of the kids. Okay, clearly is having mental health issues. The right thing to do with mental health issues is not leave your family. Like, just abandon the person. All he's doing is making something out of his mashed potatoes. Like, and then you're screaming at him, and he's like, one of these days, Ronnie, bam, right to the moon. But he'll never get counseling because he's on the spaceship. And scream at the person. Totally agree. He was he was out of his mind. And her solution was, I'm just going to scream at him. That will solve everything. But it was also 1977. So I don't know if they had a, such a relationship with therapy as we do now. But like, you have a husband who's upsetting your children and he's like okay don't worry i'm over it i'm over it i'm cleaning all this shit up and then he starts throwing dirt and trees and your neighbor's fencing in through your kitchen window as if taking it around through the screen door at the back at least or building it in the backyard did that lady have pet ducks in her backyard they were in the yeah, fence yeah it was cute or they were yeah. i think they were geese <laughs> i wrote a comment make sure to talk about geese on the podcast <laughs> I saw that and I was thinking, can't those just fly away? What is the fence doing to stop the birds? I thought she was a little overboard with the shower scene and the yelling there. I think that maybe was escalated all on her part. But at the end of the day, I think she had to get the kids out of the house because their dad was unhinged. And who knows what he would do next. He had a nervous breakdown. They were kind of already on the fringe from what you see in the beginning couple of scenes where a lot of them are fighting. The wife's telling him, no, you need to take the kids out. You promised to take the kids out. And he's being sarcastic. And they have a certain level of dysfunctionality that is really relatable and really believable. But I think it positions the center of the film or the, the middle part really well because it shows that they're not completely a happy family right now. And this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's not just the aliens thing. It's yeah. the, the, the negligence and the, uh, the ignorance and kind of the sarcasm. And then this probably for years prior yeah i agree with that absolutely that's a very good point so we're we're all in agreement that he should have got on the ship no no i don't think he should have got on the ship i would have got on the ship <laughs> gone back to fix his family 
I would not have got on the ship. This is getting really, like, this is bringing up a lot of stuff for me right now. I need a second. (laughs) So there were three versions of this film, and we probably should have referenced this a little bit earlier, but we watched the director's cut. So the first was the theatrical cut. The second was the special edition with newly added scenes. And I read later on that the studio actually demanded a really controversial scene to sell the special edition. So that's why they showed the mothership interior in the special edition. But Steven Spielberg was pissed. And that's why when he got an opportunity to do his director's cut, that was the first thing he ripped out. And my question to you guys is, someone who never got to see the middle of the mothership, do you think that would make the film better? Or do you think it would detract from the mystique of the whole thing? I would have wanted to see more just because that like sci-fi is my jam. But I don't think it would have made the movie better. I think we saw too much as it is. I thought that it was more interesting when they were more enigmatic until we saw them and i was actually fine with them when it was the first one coming down and it was this kind of arbitrary shape you couldn't see a lot of detail as to what the alien looked like it was just this being this that you could recognize wasn't human it was maybe human-like but it wasn't human but then when we got more detail on what they actually looked like that actually took away from it for me so if we saw more detail on the ship uh, it would have been less mysterious to me i think I totally agree. In fact, I think maybe seeing one alien would be really cool. But I think the fact that they brought out this entire colony, I think really took away from them the mystery element, maybe like one just to like for plot convenience and to like get everyone on board and have him kind of like wave them on in. But I totally agree with you, Craig. I think we did see too much. I was really into it when it was more of the mystery mystery behind it and his breakdown and building the stuff. And then, yeah, when we got to see all the ships and it was like, okay, now there's 10 ships. Now there's 15 minutes of this mothership. And then there's three different versions of Alien on this ship. I don't know. I just lost interest. So the first alien that came out with the long dangly arms, he was actually what the aliens were going to represent. They did it all with puppetry, but they felt it was very difficult to do in practice. So that was some actual test footage, but they really liked it. So they hung on to it. So that's why there's two types of aliens, which I also think is extremely weird. I mean, not that there can't be two different types of aliens, but I just, I I don't know. I just thought it was a weird choice. It, It just felt strange and inconsistent. If you're going to go with diverse aliens, maybe like show us some more diversity instead of just one squiggly squid boy. I thought the design of the aliens in general was incredibly uninspired. I get they're going for a very classic look, but I don't know. I was expecting something a little more interesting. They were proto-ETs. If you looked at them, they were very much like a sketch of what E.T. looked like. I thought when I saw that, is this E.T.'s race? I think it might have been. The ships are... Yeah, and it's not really important. They're both Spielberg. Yeah, he's refined the E.T.'s. Yeah, what I meant was it doesn't really weigh for me on close encounters of the third kind whether or not they're the same species as E.T. That doesn't change anything for me. It'd just be, hey, that's neat. Because you're not a sci-fi nerd. Spielberg did E.T., right? Yeah, okay. And that would be a really neat way to link them. I have a fun fact for you guys. So Steven Spielberg specifically requested six-year-old school girls to be in the alien costumes because he said girls move more gracefully than boys. So in fact, every single one of them was a little six-year-old schoolgirl. I think they were all from Alabama, which I thought was a weird little fun fact and like a strange thing you would think of when you were casting for this. You guys want to talk about the music? John Williams did a fantastic job with the score. This was a really big deal. This was this was just after Star Wars. I would imagine he would have been a big name at the time. And I thought the score was absolutely fantastic. He did a really good job of mm-hmm. making the soundtrack ominous and unnerving while still inspiring a sense of wonder and curiosity. It was oddly inviting despite the fact that what you were being invited into was kind of spooky and uh, mysterious and a little intimidating. 
but I really enjoyed it and I thought that elevated the other mystery and or extraterrestrial elements of the film. I think just the idea of trying to use something very basic like sound also was reflected in Independence Day when they sent up the helicopter with the big lights on the side. They were using the flashing lights in a pattern to try and communicate in some rudimentary way with the the aliens. It wasn't sound uh, because how do you hear that much sound over all the helicopters and jet fighters, I guess, maybe was their their thought. But I thought that was just something that ended up getting into our, our common consciousness when communicating with aliens. How the hell do you do it? You can't, you can't, there's no shared alphabet. There's no, you know, middle language you can try and shoehorn it through. You've got to start from absolute basics, so... I like that music was the bridge between humanity and what lies beyond, especially because music is often referred to even amongst earthlings as the universal language, right? And it was referenced extremely well. Like, um, I like how the tone they used to communicate was being brainwashed into the people. My favorite instance of this was when Barry, the little kid, is hitting that five note tune on his xylophone and it sounds playful and childish, but you know it's the tune. So again, it adds that unnerving kind of spooky vibe. What I thought was really cool about the music as well is that a lot of it was seamlessly integrated into the film using action seen on screen. So my favorite scene of the entire film was when Barry gets abducted and you see the red light piercing through the keyhole and everything starts shaking. And when I believe her name is Jillian starts to panic, she bumps her side onto a record and the record needle falls. And that's what starts the music in the scene. Before that, it's just noises and lights and sirens and whatever's coming off this alien spaceship but that's when the ost kicks in and really elevates it and it does a great job of integrating itself it doesn't just swell it swells for a reason and i felt like that was just so damn stylish and so well integrated i just couldn't help but be impressed absolutely i think the the score met with the incredible especially for the time special effects gave this very excellent enigmatic feel to the aliens which is totally what they should be because they're just this thing we can't comprehend so i think spielberg's take on aliens is not that they're enigmatic that they're just like we're all citizens of the galaxy and they love music give it to us man like, I, I totally agree. We are. We're all just folk, and they're as curious about us as we are about them. But to be some redneck sitting on the side of a hill with these crazy things flying by. Yeah, I'm going to have to side with Craig on this one. I do get that enigmatic feel. What else is cool about this film is how many times it's been referenced in cinema history moving forward. In 1979, the James Bond film Moonraker used the exact same five-note sequence as a scientist is entering a combination to an electronic lock. The 2009 film Monsters vs. Aliens uses this tune when the President of the United States plays a synthesizer while trying to make first contact with the extraterrestrial robot. And even in South Park, the episode Imagination Land, the government scientist uses the five-note sequence to try and open a portal. And I found countless and countless examples of this coming up. And I thought it was really cool and something you would really never notice unless you've been there to see Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So now I'll have to be looking out for it. (laughs) I love this whole vibe. I think this era in particular, like 70s and 80s, is a great time to do a lot of these paranormal type movies because if you said something like this in 2021, every smart ass on Reddit would be posting in the comments after they go to the theater, why didn't he just pull out his Google Pixel X9 with his 49 megapixel camera and just take a picture of the spaceship? Well, they actually mentioned that, didn't they? They In the one briefing, the general said, people are walking around with cameras and stuff all the time. And if there were spaceships out there, we would have got a picture of them by now. And that is 8,000 times more true. (laughs) 
Yeah. I've got a fun production fact for you. Steven Spielberg originally told Columbia Pictures that he would do this for $2.7 million and they greenlit it. But later on, as everyone does on this list, blew the budget, spent nearly <laughs> $20 million. Yeah. Of course, he grossed $300 million, so it was worth it at the time. The Columbia rep was interviewed and said, I would have never greenlit this if I knew he was going to blow the budget by this much and we would have lost this cool piece of cinema history. We've heard that so many times in this list of all these great films about how they made tons of money and the directors just lied or did whatever they had to do to get the green light and then they went and spent, 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 spent. I wonder how many times they do that, but the film flops and they just get completely blacklisted from Hollywood. It's the kind of mistake you can only make once, right? Well, once we finish 100 of the greatest films of all time, maybe we'll look at 100 of the worst films of all time and we'll see that trend in every film on the list. I thought it was interesting to open back to back with Star Wars like that and still come out with a crushing uh, amount of box office sales. I was reading about the 70s in film and many people say that it's as revolutionary as bringing sound was to the movies because they were able to finally go into all these crazy topics that classic Hollywood wouldn't have had before. So that's why Steven Spielberg was given this authorship over this movie to tell a story that hasn't really been told before. There wasn't a lot of faith that it would do well. And look what comes out. Speaking of Star Wars, Craig, the model of the mothership was based on the geometry of an oil refinery. It's now on display at the Smithsonian. However, one of the VFX crew who had just finished working on Star Wars thought it would be funny to glue a little R2 model to the underside of the ship. And you can see it in about three or four scenes of the film as it's flying around. A little R2 hanging in there. It's very cool. So I knew ahead of time that that was on there and I was looking for it, but I couldn't spot it. Really? Interesting. I wonder if the internet's lying to me and it just was never there. I believe it's probably there, but I, I wasn't able to spot it. I didn't know when to look though. Like I didn't have it up on my phone. Yeah. So of the moments we haven't talked about yet, what are some of your favorites or least favorite moments of the film? So actually, one of my notes is when you see the red light through the keyhole, yeah. the, the music that comes on, the lyrics are the moment you come into view. Yeah, it was great. There's a couple moments like that, but that one I wrote down because I thought it was just so well done. My favorite moment was when they were talking about how they're going to clear the area of this Devil's Tower. And one of the reasons given was like, oh, we'll declare an epidemic or a pandemic. People will get out of there. And then one guy's like, no, there's always going to be a couple people that stay behind and think they're immune. <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, me too. I actually wrote down, it's no one's going to believe a plague. Yeah. Because, yeah, that was one of the moments for me too. I was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, it's too soon. <laughs> that aged perfectly. That's so funny. It did. I, I mean, seriously, it aged well. How about you, Chris? Anything we didn't talk about yet that you want to bring up? Good or bad? Good or bad? Because we've been generally polite to this movie and normally you have something mean to say. <laughs> we'll see. All right. So cool thing I, I noticed when they show the McDonald's sign, it was 24 billion sold because I do remember go, going from over 99 billion to just being hmm. on the signs now billions and billions. So that was kind of fun for me. Yeah. I also noticed the McDonald's design and the architecture and the color scheme is identical to what you would see in a McDonald's today. But then it showed a bunch of other buildings yeah. who have completely rebranded. And it was interesting to see that McDonald's really st stuck through on their... They uh, stuck to that branding. Yeah, for sure. If it ain't broke. I liked how they drew us into the mystery, especially at the beginning. Like, that was great. Like, I was so... I, I've seen this before. They did a good job of drawing us in. And one thing I was wondering, why were they dropping stuff all over the place? Like it, what it made me think was, it was like a, a passive show of power. They're just like, we've had these dudes for 60 years, whatever. We, we just dropped this warship off in the middle of the desert. 
I thought it was because they had like an operator in the engine room where he's like, oh shit, I fucked this up. And it's just like a ship falls out of the bottom of the mothership. I'm like, oh shit, we, oops, <laughs> no one will notice that. But why drop it off? Like, what's the point? You've stolen it. It's been missing for... I thought they were doing it in the middle of the desert because it was a place that they could do it where no one would be <laughs> around while they did it. That was my impression. They were returning all kinds of stuff they had taken from Earth, including they the They were people. probably doing some experiments. They were just like, oh, here's your shit back. And the dog. They were probably looking to learn, and they picked up a couple samples, did all of their research, and maybe their storehouse was full. So they're like, all right, we want to pick up a new sample, drop off an older one when we're done testing on, done analyzing the metal composites and what kind of elements are here on this planet. Although I don't necessarily think you're wrong, Chris, because I thought a big tone of the movie for the majority of the movie was we don't know what their ambitions are. Are they friendly or are they not? They're being very mysterious and in some ways very threatening with the way that they're attempting to communicate with us. They're coming at us in storm clouds. They're taking children. They seem to be chasing people. There's up to a point where we're cattle or ants like termites. Yeah. Absolutely. They look at us as this... Yeah, oh, look, these ones can form ores into shapes. Good for them. Hey, look at these ones. They can actually understand the tones we keep repeating. Let's see what else that we can teach them. I think that's true. Yeah. Maybe that's all that saved us. <laughs> I thought it was a really nice touch that all of those missing things they go find, that comes back at the end. They reconnect that thread and all of the passengers who disappeared 30, 40, 50 years ago come out. I thought that was a really cool way to kind of tie various components of the film together, and it felt really cohesive. In the way that Deer Hunter felt kind of like a mismatch of things, this felt much more like an architectural design. You got a lot more of a cohesive vision in this film than you traditionally do in most media. And the government was much more competent. Like, they had a backlit board of the people who they thought were on the ship. And as they came through, they're like, yep, yep, yep. Much more competent than any real government. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the government knew a lot more than we knew thought. I liked that the aliens followed the road rules when they came into the village or town or whatever they were going through. The toll booths politely and they stuck to the roads. That made it a little unbelievable for me. <laughs> they didn't pay the toll. That's like no. a stick it to the man kind of thing. Maybe that's the opposite. Yeah. I really like that the government stashed all of their secret equipment that they were moving around in like Krispy Kreme donut trucks and stuff like that. I thought that was a really cool touch that made the world feel more believable that the government is operating just beneath the surface and you would never think to know unless you got two or three steps closer. What did you guys think of the characters overall? Did you find any of them really compelling? I like the translator guy. He was probably my favorite. But the guy spoke well enough English that it seemed like he was just kind of using the translator because he couldn't be bothered to like use three extra brain cells to speak in English because he speaks in English several times and it's perfectly fine. It doesn't feel broken at all. But then he still has to flex on you by using his translator. I think everyone has a limit, right? Fun fact, this was his first English movie. Oh, wow. It seemed like he got stuck now and then. Yeah, he was learning English for this movie, and so he had his lines up around the place. So yeah, he was, this is his only English movie, or his first. That's awesome. Least. Oh, well, he did a great job then. I would have just assumed he was fluent and he was bilingual. See? It, it worked. <laughs> I really liked Roy. I like how Roy portrayed someone who is sarcastic, apathetic, but then he gets this strike of inspiration from the aliens. He's got so much personality and he was so animated that you sim you could sympathize with him and also feel bad for him, but you were also curious to see where his journey led him. I thought the actor, Dreyfus, did a great job of kind of bringing that role to life. I think the only part I agree is a couple syllables on that. He was, he was a simp. 
he he didn't have his own agency, right? He was just he was a puppet. When it came to the end, did any of the other guys in those fabulous red suits actually get to go, or did they just take him? I think only him. Yeah, I think they only take him, took him. There was a whole bunch of them that went. There was a whole team. Well, the the little proto ETs. Yeah, they don't go on the like, ship. Gather all around Dreyfus and yeah. uh, Roy. Sorry, and and he goes into the ship. I don't know if the other ones went in too. I don't think so. I just assumed they were getting the whole crew to go on board. He was just going on first because he was like, I don't know, an eager beaver or something like that. My impression was that the aliens let him on. The reason that they brought him there was because he was the one they wanted to come with them. And the rest of the G.I. Joes got left behind. Yeah, he wasn't the he wasn't the most important character. He was just a cow that got put down the chute. Well, no, the whole mystique is the driving force. It's not character driven. I just thought he did a really good job. Again, I don't know. I feel like I use this term a lot, but like a self-insert character so you can take yourself along with the ride. There were several iterations of this script beforehand where it was like a police officer or a military pilot, but Spielberg was very specific that he wanted just an average Joe so that you could put yourself in his shoes and go along on this journey. He felt like if it was a cop or anyone with authority, then it wouldn't be easy to attach yourself to. And it wouldn't be as believable when he interacts with all of these different military outlets who are researching the aliens. Yeah, like uh, Richard, don't get me wrong, Richard Dreyfus did a great job in the role, but he wasn't my favorite character. But I don't think he was supposed to be. He was just, like Jordan said, he was supposed to be the guy who you put your face on. Usually that's my favorite character. (laughs) I guess I'm not as narcissistic Uh, as you. I know. (laughs) The only negative thing, his freak out was too long. I was surprised that you thought the end bits were too long, but the freak out for me was too long. I thought this film did an amazing job of building all of the things it did. It's ambience, it's mystery, propelling its plot forward without showing us a single damn alien until the very end of the film. And even then, it didn't really even need to show us an alien. It did such a good job with its characters and with its with its music and its tone just to drive home this theme and, and build this story without really any supernatural elements other than the initial ship flying through starting the whole charade. I think that's a testament yeah, the only part that I didn't like of the ending was the 8,000 little aliens coming out. I thought that was the only unnecessary part. I think it might have been the only unnecessary part of the entire film. Yeah, no, I enjoyed the buildup. I thought the interactions were interesting. I thought the way he and his wife bounced off of each other were great. I could really feel, you really feel the tension. And it, again, it builds this believable world. Yeah. And it would make somebody compelled enough to drive out to buttfuck nowhere Wyoming to go investigate this damn rock. So the tension when they're talking about the Devil's Tower on TV and he's talking to his wife and you got the shot of the Devil's Tower on the TV and he's not paying attention and then his like identical replica behind. I've seen the movie before and I was still like, turn your head. Turn. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was probably. Look at the damn screen. Like the most inv- invocative scene of the movie. I just, it was just Look like, at the oh, damn television. That was so good. Yeah, that was the one thing I think we had to talk about. And I think we touched on this. The effects, they totally yeah. hold up. It was really good. It like was really the, the, good. Yeah, because models rule. Like there's nothing yeah. better than models. Yep, yeah. just looks so good. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. That, yeah. Absolutely. I didn't see any of this and think, man, this looks old. Like, it has an older style just because you don't see a lot of practical effects these days, but it's still all fantastic. It doesn't hurt your suspension of disbelief or the way you throw yourself into the story at mm-hmm. all. Even the little alien dudes, like, who were schoolgirls, you said? <laughs> they still yeah. looked like, they didn't look fake. Like, I didn't see any seams. Well, when you spend $19.4 million, there shouldn't be seams. Yeah, I mean, if someone asked me, you know, (laughs) are those people in costumes, I'd say yes. But they were really good. Yeah, for sure. All right, everyone. So now we're going to rank this film along with the others we've seen. If you want to check out where our rankings are, there is a link in the description of the YouTube video. 
But Sarah, where would you place Close Encounters of the Third Kind? I would put this as my fourth below, I think, Bonnie and Clyde, but above Pan's Labyrinth. All right, Chris, where would you place it? I've been agonizing since I watched it. So it's definitely better than the Deer Hunter. That's not. That one's last. <laughs> Craig, you weren't here last week, but Deer Hunter was last for Chris. He ranted about it for 30 minutes. Sarah and I thought it was okay. <laughs> That's the best, summer, like, five-second summary. If you guys didn't listen to last week, maybe you don't have to. It just got summarized for you. I think it's better than Bonnie and Clyde, so I would put it at... Th- and I'm having a hard time. I just think it just barely... And it's probably because of the subject matter. I love sci-fi, so that's going to maybe nudge you up a bit. But, yeah, I think it's my number three. And how about you, Craig? Where are you going to pop this movie? Well, I'm sure if she's listening, my mommy will be happy to hear this. Hi, mommy. I'm going to put Close Encounters of the Third Kind as my number one spot. Nice. I absolutely loved this movie. It blew me away as a kid. And then watching it again as an adult, I was like, yeah, I've seen this movie. I guess I'll watch it again for the podcast. And it blew my ass off again. Nostalgia bias. So number one, excellent film. Thank you, Mr. Spielberg. Next. Very cool. I'm going to slot this bad boy in at number two. I thought it was fantastic. (laughs) I'm going to put Zhivago at number one still, but sliding in just underneath. Just because Zhivago is an epic. I love epic. I love the setting of Zhivago. But for what this movie is, it does a tremendous job in everything it strives for. Highly recommend this one. Yeah, it, it was fantastic cool what are we gonna watch in the next episode chris all right so next week we'll be watching up and surprisingly you can watch that on disney plus and basically nowhere else unless you want to pay apple tv cineplex microsoft and amazon you can all rent it very cool thank you for your time everyone before we go i'd like to give a huge thank you to travis laporte who is currently supporting the show on patreon.com thanks travis we really appreciate it thank you hey thanks a lot If you would like to check out more of what we do, any affiliated social media links will be in the description below. And while you're down there, please feel free to leave any questions or topics regarding the next film that you would like us to talk about in the next episode. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you tune in next week. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, Bye, all. Bye.